You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Yoni Anderson. Choosing to bring a dog into your home is a really big decision. In my last show, I gave you the hard questions you need to ask yourself to determine if you should get a canine friend in the first place, and then I talked about how to decide what kind of dog would make the right match. In today's show, I'm going to cover how to choose a dog from a breeder. Yes, there are quality, responsible breeders out there. Breeders get a bad rap, but I'm here to tell you the difference. Because there are also some people out there who don't have a clue what they're doing about breeding dogs, and they're just trying to take advantage of you. So I'm going to teach you how to tell the difference today on Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Tired of wasting money on giant boxes of litter that don't work and don't last? Switch to World's Best Cat Litter, the only litter with concentrated power. So even a small bag lasts one cat 30 days. Outstanding odor control, quick clumping, lightweight. It's even flushable. World's Best Cat Litter. Everything else is just litter. Find it near you at www.itsnotjustlitter.com. That's www.itsnotjustlitter.com. Amazing Pet Expos is coming to a city near you. Admission is always free and your pet is welcome. Shopping, adoptions, free nail trims, discounted shots and microchipping, agility, a pet costume contest, and much more. Plus, meet the guys from Animal Planet's hit TV series Tank and Pit Boss online at AmazingPetExpos.com. Bring your pets to the Pet Expo. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. Years ago, a good friend of mine who's also a professional dog trainer, she was getting a lot of grief because she was wanting a puppy. And what she wanted was a purebred puppy. And she was getting a lot of flack from various people in her life about choosing a purebred dog and going to a breeder and getting a purebred dog as opposed to getting a rescue dog. Now, this trainer friend of mine works in rescue all the time. She does consults for rescue groups. She does seminars for rescue groups. But she had her heart set on a specific breed. It's the breed that she had had before. She loves this breed. It's just her breed. And she had rescue dogs in the past, but this is a breed that, that she wanted. I just felt so badly for her because this is something that she really wanted to do. And my philosophy is this. People are judgmental. There's always going to be someone who judges you for what you choose. And if you've got your heart set on a specific dog and you want to go to a breeder, I think that's a beautiful thing. I want you to do it well. But I think that that's absolutely fine. Don't let people bring you down. I think that rescue is awesome. I have had rescue animals. I have had purebred animals. It just depended on where I was in my life at the time and what animals came into my life at the time. I don't think it has to be mutually exclusive. I think that you can do both. But I think that you do need to do what your heart tells you. And people are always going to judge. Don't let them get you down. 
If you've done your homework and your heart is absolutely set on getting a specific dog, it is fine. At least that's my personal opinion. I think it's fine. I try not to be judgmental. If you haven't listened to my last radio show, Choosing a Friend for Life Part 1, please do because that's going to talk about all the homework you need to do before you decide to get a pet. Or if you know somebody else who's thinking about getting a dog in their life, please send them to that radio show because I covered a lot of information on that. When my friend told me this story about her getting a lot of flack from people, it just made me feel very badly for her. But the fact of the matter is that there's a lot of controversy around purebred dogs sometimes. I've done some research on this, and I cannot find any hard stats to support that. And frankly, I don't really think that it's true. I think it is a scare tactic. Some people, for example, only like and only bring into their homes one breed of dog. That's their thing. I have a friend who only wants West Highland White Terriers. That's favorite breed. That's what they want. Don't expand out of that. Another friend, all she wants was Great Danes. Didn't want any other breeds. That's what she wanted. And so if these people can't find that breed, and sometimes purebreds are at the local shelter, I completely acknowledge that. I'm just saying that if they go to the shelter and that breed isn't there, they're not going to get a dog at all. So it's not necessarily that they went to a purebred dog that lost out this spot available in this household because these people are very specific about what they want. Now, I don't think that could ever be me. I love too many breeds. There are some that I wouldn't want to live with, but there are so many that I like. I probably... Papillon was my first breed, and I have a Papillon now, and I just love that particular breed. But I've had a bunch of different types of dogs, and I love so many more on my list. If you have a little list about ones that you might like to live with, I don't think I could be that person. Other people aren't right. If they have this type of dog that they love, and they've always had, and it's always worked well for them, then it's great to stick with what you know. I don't think that they're contributing to the shelter problem simply because they choose to have this certain breed. So I think that that's one of those dents in the myth. Another dent that I found is that, you know, many homes have more than one dog and there's room for more than one kind. I will tell you that in my life when I wasn't looking for a dog at all is how I ended up with a rescue dog, my three-legged Labrador retriever. And he was probably mixed with a little something else. He was mostly lab. But I wasn't looking for a dog at all in my house. I did not have a vacancy Apparently, this little puppy thought otherwise, and he saw the blinking vacancy sign over my head that I didn't know was blinking, and so he came home to live with me. So I ended up with a rescue. Same thing happened with my wonderful cat. I wasn't looking for an animal. I did not have a vacancy at the inn, and this rescue cat wandered up on my lawn one day and into my heart, and he ended up living with me. So a lot of homes have more than one dog. There's room for more than one kind. Also, the whole myth about shelter dogs dying because you buy from a breeder, there are lots of shelters that are overrun, and there are difficult decisions those people have to make about euthanasia because they have so many pets that they, they have no room for, and more keep coming in. But the truth of the matter is that there are other shelters and rescue organizations across the country that are importing dogs from elsewhere because they don't have enough of a certain kind that get adopted. For example, toy breeds. There are lots of toy breeds in certain areas of the country and they're in demand in the Northeast, they're in demand in the West Coast. And so I know that some areas of the country come to South Carolina where I am and get the toy breeds out of the shelters and take them up there because they have better chances of being adopted. I think this is a great thing too. If the chance of these shelter dogs getting a home, whether it's local or across the country, I'm all for it if, if they can get good homes for life. But some of the shelters are bringing in animals from other parts of the country for adoptions because they don't have what their area is looking 
looking for, or they have the room and they have the resources to do that. Some shelters even bring in animals from outside the country. They don't even stick to the country. They go outside the country. And that's not necessarily saying that a breeder dog is taking the space of a shelter dog when they're having to go out and bring these shelter dogs in in the first place. My personal argument would be that irresponsible owners contribute more to dogs ending up in shelters than anything else. People who move and can't take the dog. I understand if you are moving into a nursing home or an assisted care facility that will not allow you to take your pet. And I, my heart breaks for those people because these are usually people that have had pets their whole lives. I do a lot of volunteer work and the volunteer work that I do is animal assisted therapy and visitation. And Finian, my little papillon, and I go to the local assisted nursing center about once a month. And the people who love to visit with him the most are the ones that had to leave their pets behind because this particular facility doesn't allow personal pets. And so they get to love on Finian, who eats it up, because they miss the pets that they had. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people who just up and move and don't want to take their dog. I was doing a presentation at a local rescue organization not too long ago and there was a chocolate lab who was nine years old and he had been dropped off by his family they were just moving out of town and they didn't want to take him and he had what we call sugar sprinkles on his chin he was starting to turn gray we call him sugar sprinkles because it's not as painful to admit that they're getting old and he was so bewildered and he looked so lost he just did not know where he was or why he was there i oh it was awful it was awful i almost just put him in the van and took him home i did not have an opening and i held true to my no vacancy sign that time but it was really hard because this poor dog had obviously been with this family for almost nine years they'd had him since he was a puppy and they just decided they didn't want him anymore This happens for people who get puppies. And when they have an older dog, they ditch them at the shelter because the puppy's more exciting. I think that's horrible. I think it's absolutely horrible. There are people who drop off animals at shelters that have valid reasons and and they should not all be judged. So I'm only talking about the bad ones. Uh, Another thing about irresponsible owners is they buy a dog without doing their research because they did not listen to Choosing a Friend for Life Part 1, my last radio show. And then when it becomes a teenager and becomes out of control because they didn't do their research ahead of time, then they take it to the shelter because the dog becomes too much for them. They didn't realize that the boxer had energy or they didn't realize that any kind of sporting breed likes to run and be outside and likes to destroy things so then they ditch it at the shelter the shelter is overrun with dogs for that reason people did not have realistic expectations of what they brought home and then they ditched the dog what about the people who let their dogs run loose and they're not spayed and they're not neutered and they just keep making more of themselves those are the dogs that end up in shelters too One, because they get caught by animal control, but all the puppies they make, there's no room for them either. And the people who are allowing their dogs to run loose don't exactly have the bastion of responsibility to take care of the consequences when the puppies come along. So my argument would be that irresponsible dog owners contribute much more to dogs ending up in shelters than people who go and do their research and buy a dog from a reputable breeder. So the point is, choose what's right for you and your family. Don't let people get you down. Don't let them judge you or just ignore them. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive either. First of all, lots of purebreds do end up in rescue and there are breed rescues. So you can do your rescue good turn and make space in your home for a rescue animal and still get a purebred dog. Every breed club, at least in the United States, has a breed rescue. And these dogs end up in rescue for a lot of the same reasons that 
dogs end up in rescue for any other reason in any other shelter, but these are all about a specific breed. Sometimes breed rescues will also take mixes of that breed, but a lot of times they're exclusive to that breed. So if you have your heart set on a particular type of dog and you still want to explore rescue, there's definitely an opportunity for you to do that as well. I'll talk more about rescues in part three. Today we're talking about part two. So after I've spent all this time beefing up the reputation of breeders, are there bad breeders? Oh, heck yes. There are terrible, terrible dog breeders out there. The top of my list, puppy mills. And by association, pet stores, because pet stores get their dogs from puppy mills. So what is a puppy mill? A puppy mill is a facility that is basically a factory. It's a factory for producing dogs. And they are in deplorable conditions. Just recently, there was a huge bust in Alabama. The ASPCA took 141 dogs from this terrible, terrible puppy mill situation. Ten dogs were found dead inside of garbage cans. Two more dogs were found in the woods of the property. And along with these malnourished dogs that they took, investigators found illegal drugs, handgun, and and some cash. It said that these dogs were malnourished, they had hypothermia, some of them were dehydrated, some of them had rampant dental disease, and painful damage to their eyes that resulted in blindness. And it was absolutely terrible situation. And if you watch the news on a regular basis, this comes up every couple months or every couple times a year where this puppy mill was discovered and just terrible, terrible conditions for these dogs. The thing about it is, is it's a business. Okay, they're not putting the dog first. It's a business. So females are bred every heat cycle. This is not healthy. This is absolutely not healthy for the females. It's very overcrowded. They're usually hundreds of dogs. As I said, this last bust was 141 dogs alone. They're kept in cages all the time. They are never allowed out of their cages. The highest concentration of puppy mills is in the Midwest, and Missouri leads the list. Uh, There's a couple more growing in Pennsylvania, but the biggest culprit of the location of puppy mills is in the Midwest. The problem with getting a puppy from a pet store that came from a puppy mill or directly from the puppy mill is there's a real lack of socialization for those puppies. They're usually also sent away too young. Think about it. If you're in the Midwest and you've got to get down to Florida or up to Connecticut or over to California, these puppies are going to take a week or so to get across the country. So what they do is they rip them away from their mothers way too early so that they're still small and cute when they get to the store. Because as dogs get bigger, people don't want them as much. They want the little fluffies. So these dogs are taken away way too soon. So you end up having problems with bite inhibition, where the dog doesn't learn not to bite down on people as well. The number one complaint I personally get as a professional trainer is house training. In an ideal situation with properly bred dogs, puppies are able to go away from where they live to eliminate. Well, if you live in a cage, you can't go anywhere. So what these dogs learn to do is just live in their filth. And so when you bring them home, they think it's perfectly fine to just pee and poop everywhere and just sit in it. They don't think that's a problem because that's what they learned. And it's very, very challenging to house train a puppy mill dog. It is really hard. And it causes a great deal of frustration. And I always ask when I'm doing my intake, where'd you get your dog? And I'll find out on the internet. I'm like, oh, no, it's a puppy mill dog. It's invariably a pet store or puppy mill dog. It doesn't mean that other dogs can't have problems with house training. I'm just saying that it is a very common problem with puppy mill dogs. There's a lot of problems with the dogs. They're usually not very healthy either. Some dogs can be awesome. You can luck out. But remember, too, people think, 
Well, if I rescue it from the puppy mill, it'll be saving that dog. Well, they're just going to make more because you bought them. You're actually funding that operation. So I would really encourage you to avoid puppy mills as much as possible. How do you know? Because they're sneaky. How do you know that it's a puppy mill? Here are some clues. One is they're going to tell you, well, their place is really hard to find, so they'll meet you in a parking lot. Yeah, let that shoot up a flag, a flare, some red flags. No, 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 no. You want to see where these puppies are raised. You want to see the conditions they are in. You want to see the parents of the puppies, at least the mother. If somebody offers to meet you in a parking lot somewhere because their place is hard to find or something like that or comes up with some sort of excuse, run away. It's probably a bad operation. Buying online. It's one thing for a reputable breeder to have a nice website, but if you can just purchase that puppy on site, you know, out from the Midwest or from another part of the country online, and there's this huge catalog that they have on their website, that is a puppy mill. Please don't support that. Some of them are going to say, oh, we're not a puppy mill. We're USDA approved. Well, here's the newsflash. The USDA doesn't approve breeders. They license them. There's a big difference. Not so much to be bragging about. What a USDA license means is that this facility is allowed to sell puppies to brokers or pet stores. Many of those licensed breeders have had repeated violations, but they're still in business. It's perfectly legal to keep a dog in a cage that's only six inches longer than the dog in each direction stacked on top of each other for the rest of its life, for its entire life. That dog may never and probably will never see the outside of that cage. And that's fine. As long as six inches longer than the dog in every direction, it's perfectly legal according to the USDA license. They're also allowed to live on wire flooring, which is not good for them either. So USDA license doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. Don't let that fool you. Usually the puppies are available before eight weeks of age, again, because they want to truck them across the country. We prefer eight weeks of age for lots of social reasons. There's usually a lot of different breeds. Reputable breeders sometimes will have two breeds or so, but these people will breed you pretty much anything. There are lots of different breeds on their websites. They may brag about rare colors or or rare dogs or designer dogs. No, no, that's probably a puppy mill. They also make extreme promises. He'll never grow bigger than three pounds or he'll never get taller than six inches tall. Well, how do they know that? They don't know that. I knew somebody once who said that the dog would never get bigger than, I think, 15 inches. The dog was like 42 pounds and 25 inches high. It's just a sales technique. This is not legit operation. You'll also have a very difficult time getting vet references, veterinarian references. Puppy mills are all about the money. So what they're going to do is they're going to do all their own shots. And while some good breeders will do their own shots too, they will be able to whip out a vet reference in an instant because their veterinarians know them very well. Okay, but puppy mills, yeah, there's not a really good reputation with them at the local veterinarian's office. So they're probably not going to be able to give you a vet reference. And the number one priority for a puppy mill seller is how you're going to pay. They're not going to ask you a lot of questions about yourself. They don't really care. They just want to know if your check is going to clear, when your deposit is coming in, when your money's coming in. That is a huge flag to you. So again, avoid the puppy mills. How do you know if your pet store, local pet store, has really cute puppies and insists that they only get from breeders? Well, you can go to nopetstorepuppies.com. That's nopetstorepuppies.com. 
And what it does is it has a list of all the USDA licensed breeders, and it'll tell you what pet store gets from what licensed dealer. So that's put on by the ASPCA. It's a great website. It has a lot of more information than I can share with you here. Please check out nopetstorepuppies.com. And let's put an end to this because it's going to be a heartbreak for you when the dog doesn't turn out to what you want it to be. And it's only putting these people in more business. So are there other types of breeders you should watch out for? Yes, there's still more to come. So when we come back, I'm also going to tell you the phrase that breaks my heart every time I hear it on Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. I'll be right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com. Hi, I'm Dana Humphrey, also known as the Pet Lady. I travel from coast to coast to pet trade shows and consumer events to scout out what the hottest, hippest, and most unique pet products are on the planet, bringing you tips and tricks from top veterinarians, groomers, trainers on how to safely travel and live happily with your pets. The Pet Lady will be in a city near you, showing off the latest and greatest tech pet gadgets, cozy comforts, and fab gift ideas for man's and woman's best friend. You can learn more at thepetlady.net or connect socially and tweet with me at PetLadyWorld. Hi, this is Jody Miller-Young from Bark and Swagger. Tune in for everything pet fashion and more. From fashion tips and runway trends, products and designs I love, to fabulous home decor for your furry friend, you'll find it all here. Be the first to discover the new. So what are you waiting for? Find me on Pet Life Radio. And remember, when fierce fashion calls, bark and swagger. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Teodi Anderson. Today I'm talking about buying from a quality breeder. But before I get to the good stuff, I got to cover the bad stuff. That's the juicy stuff anyway, right? This is the ones that are trying to take advantage of you. And one phrase that I hear a lot, when I start telling people about how you should choose a dog and how to choose the right breeder, I see their eyes glaze over and they start realizing that this is kind of a big deal and that I'm having a lot of information coming at them. And I have heard this phrase for years and years and years. And seriously, it just puts a dent in my heart every time I hear it. People will say, but I only want a pet dog. To me, there is no higher honor for a dog than to be a loving family companion. This is also a really high standard. I think that you're selling yourself short by saying you only want and selling the idea of a pet dog short by saying you only want a pet dog. People think that doing all the research and finding a quality breeder is only for show dogs. And that's not true. It's absolutely not true. People go to breeders for show dogs for specific criteria. 
you have specific criteria too. And in my opinion, it's pretty definite, very high standards of criteria. A pet dog needs to be social and friendly. If you have children, it needs to be able to get along with your children and not want to eat them or not be afraid of them. If these children are middle-aged or older, they're going to have other children over to play with. And that dog needs to be able to get along with those children too. If you have neighbors over for a barbecue or a party, a pet dog needs to be able to welcome people into your home without wanting to hurt them or being so afraid of them that they growl and act aggressively too. A pet dog needs to be well-behaved. Pet dogs, you don't need a dog that's going to be destroying your furniture or peeing all over your house or being destructive and ripping up the kids' toys. It needs to be well-behaved. A pet dog needs to console you when you don't feel well. It needs to make you laugh and it needs to be your friend. And if anything, you need to be stricter about what you get for a pet dog. Show dogs are awesome. There are show dogs that are absolutely family dogs. Some of them do a lot of traveling and they do a lot of shows and that they live with handlers, that type of thing. But they're still brought into the house. Usually they have a life as a dog. But your dog is going to be the center of your family. It's going to be with you in, day in, day out. If you want to travel with your dog or go camping with your dog or go hiking with your dog, a pet dog is an honor. So please, please don't ever think that you can settle for something less because you just want a pet. That's a wonderful thing. This is why we have these shows. That's why there's a Pet Life Radio. It's because these pets are so important to us. Never, never sell yourself short. I think you're so much better than that. I think you deserve better than that. So that's why I tell you these things. There are people who are going to prey upon that kind of philosophy that, oh, she only wants a pet, so she'll settle for this kind of terrible sale thing. Here are some signs of some typical backyard breeders. We call them bad backyard breeders. One, they don't care about the health of the dog at all. They just don't care about the health of the dog. The dog can have genetic issues. Example, hip dysplasia. My rescue dog, Cody, my three-legged lab, had horrific hip dysplasia. Terrible, terrible hip dysplasia. He was a rescue. I don't know who bred him, but hip dysplasia is genetic. It is passed down from parents to puppies. And as he got older, we had to deal with arthritis and I spent a lot of money and he was worth every penny on acupuncture and laser treatments and all sorts of things to keep him pain-free. It was terrible to see him in such pain with his arthritis from his hips as he got older. When I got my next Labrador, I made sure that the hips were checked out and I had certification of that from a quality breeder because I just couldn't go through that again. I just couldn't do it. It it hurts so much to watch them when they're in pain. So a bad backyard breeder may not even know. I was talking to a breeder once. A friend of mine wanted a dog and he wanted me to call this breeder and check him out because he knew I would do it. And so I was like, so can you tell me if the dogs are hip certified? He goes, oh, what do you mean? And this was, it happened to be a Labrador retriever. And I said, well, have they been certified against hip dysplasia? He said, what's that? I'm like, okay, well, thank you so much for your time. (laughs) If you don't even know what diseases are inherited, and all breeds have diseases. It's unfortunate, but these purebred dogs are prone to specific diseases, and a good breeder is going to know what those diseases are. Other things about backyard breeders is they don't really care about matchmaking. The point of being a quality breeder is to make quality dogs and advance the breed, to maintain and perpetuate and advance the breed, to make a better Weimaraner, to make a better Yorkshire Terrier, and to preserve what is special about that particular breed. And good breeders, that means a lot to them. They pour over lineage and this, that, and the other thing, and then they take their dog's faults. They look at their dog and they admit the dog doesn't have this kind of quality, and they go find a dog that has that quality to balance it out. It's 
ridiculous how much time and effort a good breeder puts into this. But a backyard breeder doesn't care. They get two of the same kind. They're willing to go for it. Now, I can't remember if I've told this story. So if you're a loyal listener and have heard it before, bear with me. But I was once at a local pet supply store. And I was looking for dog shampoo. I remember this specifically. I was looking for some sort of uh, shampoo. And to my left came a woman, and she had a little Lhasa Apso. I'm pretty sure it was a Lhasa Apso on her leash. And it was a cute little dog, and it was there. And around the other side came a guy, and he had a Lhasa Apso. And so I was in the middle of them, and they called across me. He called. He goes, oh, my gosh, is that a Lhasa Apso? And she said, it is. He goes, oh, my gosh, do you want to breed him? We could have puppies. I felt like I was at a pickup bar or something. I'm like, this is some sort of bar meat market. I'm like, you don't even know each other's names and you're already putting your dogs together. And the woman, thank goodness, said, well, no, she's spayed. I'm like, oh, good. Because I wondered if this guy was just using the line to get to the girl. I had no idea. But it just floored me that there was so little thought into making more puppies that they could meet each other in the aisles of a pet supply store and instantly decide that this was going to be an arranged marriage. I just was appalled. It was shocking to me. I'm sure it showed on my face too because I gave him a look. A bad breeder doesn't care. Bad breeder doesn't care. As long as they have two of the same kind and one's even close to the same kind, they'll put them together. Bad breeder is also not going to understand the breed enough to avoid problems. So for example, temperament. Temperament is passed down from parent to puppy, just like the size of the body, the color of the coat, how much they weigh. And if they don't understand that type of thing, they won't care. And this is how you end up with dogs that are severely shy or severely aggressive at a very young age. I had a situation once where I was, it was an aggression case and I went in and I always ask about the heritage of the dog to see if I can find out as much as possible. And I said, well, did you get to meet the parents of the puppies? And she goes, well, we saw them, but we weren't allowed to meet them. I thought that was weird. I'm like, okay, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, they were kept in their kennels and we were told not to go near the kennels. That's not a good sign. Not a good sign. It's probably because the animals were too aggressive. And so people who don't know what they're doing just don't really care. They don't understand that this type of thing has an impact on the puppies that they're making. Minor word about papers. Some people will say, well, my puppies are okay because I have papers. Well, if they have papers with the American Kennel Club, don't mistake that or even the Continental Kennel Club, CKC is, is popular too, those are not good housekeeping seals of approval. Those are just papers that say that both of the dogs are allegedly purebred. They don't do DNA testing. As long as somebody fills out the right paperwork, they can get a registration. So just because a dog has papers doesn't mean it's a quality dog. Some people will use that as a ploy to say, well, my dogs have papers. Well, that doesn't really mean anything. It just means technically, allegedly, that the dog is purebred. doesn't mean it's not a psychotic dog or it doesn't mean it's, it's a healthy dog. With all this bad breeding going on, it can be easy to think that there aren't good ones around. And I get that, but it really isn't true. And some breeders are friends of mine. So I know this from personal experience. I have some friends who are really, really wonderful breeders of dogs. And I will tell you that they are up all night worrying about the dogs and their care. And they really, really do care. And they are doing a great job. These are good breeders that want to make the breed better. And they take the dogs back when they don't work out. In fact, it's in their contract that if you decide that this dog isn't for you, they will take the dog back and give it a home. They participate in rescue for their, their breeds as well. They participate in health research about their breed. I told you that every breed has health issues. Well, good breeders research those issues and participate and want to get rid of those health issues that that breed has. And they don't just breed any dog to any dog. They're not picking up dogs at the local pet supply store. That's not how they work. What do you look for? 
Well, I think the thing that annoys people the most, but I think it's so important, is that they interview you. A good breeder is going to ask you a ton of questions. They want to get to know you. They want to know where their dog is going. Is it going to a good person? Is it going to somebody who's going to take care of their dog? And some people are so shocked by this. He asked me all sorts of questions. I'm like, good. That's a good sign. I'm giving them 10 points and people are getting really annoyed. But that's actually a really good sign. The more they interview you, the more they care. And that's important. Again, puppy mills don't care. They just want to interview your bank statement. You can also tell with a good breeder that they have the best interest of the dog in mind. Some of that you can tell from the interview. They, they want to make sure that the dog is going to be well cared for, not abused and not neglected. They also want a good match for you. Some breeders don't really allow you to pick a puppy. They pick the puppy out of the litter that's what they think is best based on what you said that you want. Some breeders participate with you on that. Sometimes you can choose your own. It just depends on individual breeders. But a good breeder cares about the dog, obviously, but they also care about you because they want it to be a match for life. Here's an example, a personal example for me. I had lost my Papillon to uh, sudden heart disease. He had heart disease. It was undiagnosed. It was very sudden onset and, and I lost him. And it was such a devastating thing for me. It took me about a year and a half before I decided I was ready to have another Papillon again. I just, I couldn't bring myself to do it. And so when I decided I was ready, I did my research and talked to a bunch of breeders and I settled on a very well-known breeder. And she had a litter. I say this because Papillon litters are usually not that big. So it's like a litter of two puppies. And one of them she had pegged. She said, I think that this litter, this dog would be available. And so she sent me pictures. And of course, I fell in love. And she kept me updated on his progress. And I was about to, I had to fly to get this dog. And I was about to make my airline reservations. The dog was getting to be old enough for me to come pick up. And I just had, you know, had his little face with me all the time, his little picture. And she called me. She said, Teodi, I don't think this dog is right for you after all. And I said, what do you mean? And she says, well, I know that your goal is therapy work for the dog. Now, a bit about me. I do therapy work with my dogs. And when I choose a new dog for my family, my goal is to do therapy work. Everything that makes a dog an excellent therapy dog also makes an excellent family dog. And whether or not the dog ever works out for therapy work, it's still my dog for life. It's still my family for life. But I love doing therapy work. I love visiting patients with, with my dogs and I love the interaction. So that's what I want to do with my dog. So when I choose a new dog, that is my original goal. And she knew that. I was very clear about that. And she said, you know, lately, you know, his little personality is developing and he's starting to get a little fearful and he's starting to um, shriek a little bit when I pick him up. She says, I don't think it's a health issue. I think it's a temperament issue. And it's very rare for my dogs. My dogs are not normally like that, but I know what your goals are. And this dog's going to need a lot of work to get there. And because of that, I really don't think it's the right dog for you. Well, you can imagine. I mean, I had my heart set. I was so, and I was crushed. I cried. I cried. Oh, it was upsetting. But she was right. And I knew she was right. And I said, thank you for letting me know because you're right. I don't want a project. Believe me, we professional dog trainers, we deal with projects all the time. We don't want to come home to them either. Some of us already have projects at home. We don't want to add to it. So I chose not to get the dog. And I was so depressed because I really finally had geared up to get this dog and I had my whole house ready for the puppy again and it didn't work out. And a week later, she had another litter and she said, I have a mismark in this litter. And would you be interested? We'll see how he develops. And a mismark is a dog that is the incorrect color for showing. And she knew that I didn't care about showing because that's not something I wanted to do. I was more interested in a, in a healthy, stable temperament dog. And that ended up being my Finian. 
And he, I can't imagine my life without him. It all worked out for the best. And she was right because it was the first puppy was the wrong puppy for me. He found a wonderful home and, uh, and he did very well for himself. And I ended up with my little man. So it all does work out. If, if you have your heart set on the right dog, you're willing to wait, even as, as painful as it is. So a good breeder is going to want to be a good, have a good match for you. And if they come and tell you this type of thing, it's not to hurt your feelings or to make you cry. It's to make sure that the dog finds the right home so that they don't get the dog back or so that you're not disappointed either. A good breeder is going to get health checks, and they're going to give you the official clearance numbers so you can look up the results yourself. They're going to have a good contract. This also shocks people sometimes. I've said they had a contract. I'm like, yeah, yeah, they have a contract. They should have a contract. Um, Sometimes it's a limited registration contract, and what that means is that you need to spay and neuter your dog. And that's not a bad thing either. They don't want you going out and breeding more of them if you don't know what you're doing. I leave breeding to other people. I could never be a breeder myself. A good breeder will allow you to meet the puppies ahead of time and the puppy parents. If they have both, that's great. They should at least allow you to meet the mom. And that way you get to see what the mom's like because that's a pretty good indication of how the puppy's going to end up. And they will also give you vet references. So if you say, can I please, you know, have a vet reference, they'll either have a letter from the vet or they'll be happy to give you the name of the vet that you can call and get the scoop on this. And a good breeder isn't going to have any problems with that whatsoever. So those are the types of things that you look for. So I'm going to have my second controversial topic in today's show. First one was about the shelter dogs and breeding. And this one is going to be about doodles. I happen to really like poodle mixes. I have a lot of clients that have poodle mixes. And these are the Labradoodles and the Golden Doodles and the Bernadoodles and the Wymadoodles and there's a doodle with everything. Some people will tell you that a quality breeder that fits all those standards that I said would never make a doodle. And I think that they have a point to that. But what I'm going to say is this. If you have your heart set on a doodle, make sure you do your research ahead of time like with any dog. And then I want you to hold the breeder to the same standards because they should absolutely meet the same standards that I discussed. They should have health clearances. A lot of them don't. And a lot of other breeders don't too. So ask about hip dysplasia. Find out what diseases are common in poodles and whatever other half it has. And ask. If you want a labradoodle, we're going to ask about hip dysplasia. You're going to ask about elbows. You're going to make sure that you cover those things. They should have a good contract. They should allow you to meet the mother. They should do all these wonderful things. And they're going to have clean places where the dogs are raised in the home with the family, not shoved in some barn or some kennel somewhere. And you hold them to the same standards and you could end up with a great dog. So don't sell yourself short. There are a lot of oodles out there. Now, if they happen to have oodles of oodles, then beware. If they will breed anything to an oodle, you go to their website and they have patoodles and multi-poodles and all these, like they have a ton of them. That's a puppy mill. That is a backyard or puppy mill operation. If they have like 50 different oodles you can get, that's not a good situation. So definitely hold them to the same standards and you won't be disappointed. Another thing I want to talk about breeders is the concept of co-owning. In certain situations... A breeder may offer to co-own a dog with you. This is for potential shows or if they think the dog has breeding potential. They don't have room in their family to keep the dog, but they're willing to have another family raise the dog and love the dog, but they get breeding rights or some sorts of things. There's there's a bunch of different ways that you can co-own. Make sure you think that through 
it's not personally for me. I think it's because I'm too much of a control freak about my own dogs. I don't think I could co-own. I don't think co-owning it with a family member, you know, your husband or, or a boyfriend or whatever, but co-owning it with somebody who doesn't live with you that you really don't know that well could be a problem. I've known friends who've co-owned dogs who ended up not friends anymore. So if a breeder offers you that, make sure everything's in writing. You agree to the terms and that you completely understand what that means because what it means is that you don't get to make all the decisions about your dog. And if you're fine with that, that's great. Just know that that might be an option depending the dog, depending on the breeder. Some breeders don't co-own for the same control freak reasons that I have. It just depends. Hopefully now, after this, you know how to choose a good breeder. And the next show, I'm going to talk about how to choose a dog from a quality rescue or humane organization. Because just as with breeders, there's some really wonderful rescue organizations and there are some terrible ones as well. So I'm going to give you the scoop on those. And we'll have covered a bunch of different places to get a dog. So I'm going to cover how to actually pick the dog that's going to be the best match for you, what to look for in a dog. I think in the first show we covered about what type of dog would be good for you, I'm going to talk about actually personality traits and different desirable traits that you want in the dog itself so that you end up with a lifetime companion. So be sure to tune in next time. In the meantime, this has been Teodi Anderson on Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. Thank you to my producer for making this show happen. If you want to reach me, you're welcome to email teodi at petliferadio.com. That's T-E-O-T-I at petliferadio.com. You can find me on Facebook on the public page, facebook.com slash Anderson, or visit the website at getpositiveresults.com. If you want to take me home with you, other than in the car or on your MP3 player when you listen to the show, you can get some of my books. My latest books are Dog Fancy, Ultimate Guide to Dog Training. Heard some great news about that book a couple weeks ago. It's already in its second printing. So if you've already purchased it, thank you so much. It's doing great. I also have Animal Planet, Dogs 101, Dog Training. So check those out. They're available at all your online booksellers and local booksellers as well. Once again, this has been T.O.D. Anderson on Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>